Today on Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, Vigilante Man. Hey everybody, you're listening to Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet. It's the podcast where we talk about every Bruce Springsteen song alphabetically one by one. My name is Rob Carmack and I'm joined here as always by the Vigilante Man himself, J.B. Clark. How we doing, J.B.? JB's only going to speak in guitar sounds. It's going to be... It's going to be an R2-D2 situation where I talk and JB makes guitar noises and I have to interpret for you. That's that's what this is going to be. It's going to be really hard to cut that down at all because you're making noise the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, okay, off to an interesting start. So the song, R two T two situation, the back to back Star Wars episodes. Let's go! Woo! Yeah, it's Star Wars week apparently. For no, I I forgot to mention in the last episode we're starting the V's, which now it seems like wrong to now just come in and be like we started the V's last episode and we'll be done with them after the next episode. But That's right. We're in the letter V. So hey, hey everybody, letter welcome v, to the letter like V. Down around top Texas, don't blink. You'll miss it. Exactly. So it's not quite it's not quite the used. It's not quite just used car, but uh, it's it's pretty close. So you got Valentine's Day, and now today we're talking about Vigilante Man, and then we got one more coming up. So That's Vigilante right. Man is a song that was released in 1988 uh, on the compilation album Folkways: colon, A Vision Shared, which was a Woody Guthrie slash Lead Belly tribute album. So this song was originally written by Woody Guthrie. And which, by the way, I think Bruce, I've not counted, but I feel like Woody Guthrie is probably one of Bruce's most frequently covered songwriters, you know? Oh, there's, yeah, there's no way that he's covered anyone else more. There's I was gonna, no I, way. Some Somebody out there is going to be like, ah, Pete Seeger, he did a whole album. But yeah, but Pete Seeger didn't write most of the songs on the Seeger sessions, interestingly. Like those, yeah. a lot of the songs on the Seeger sessions are folk songs or they're songs written by other people that Pete Seeger adopted and made famous. But he did not write yeah. As many of the quote Seeger Session songs as a lot of people, I think, may, maybe assume. But yeah, I think Woody Guthrie, we'll have to count it up. It's, that's maybe something we should do at I the said, end of the podcast. I said no way, like, really strongly. There, It is possible that Pete Seeger, he's covered more Pete Seeger songs. Because he's covered a few also uh, outside of that. But yeah, 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 you're right. I mean, it's... it's. Well, I mean, I guess technically turns into no, a Pete Seeger song. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's um. true. Um, so this this song, though... It was originally written in a ref- as a reference to the 1939 John Steinbeck novel *Grapes of Wrath*, and I think it is very safe to say that no novel is featured more in Bruce Springsteen lore than *Grapes of Wrath*. That that is, I mean, there's definitely not an album. There, there's no other. The *Grapes of Wrath* has an album named after its main character, the Ghost of Tom Jode. I don't. That's think, right. I don't think there's any other literary work that can say that about Bruce Springsteen. So. um Anyway, but so this song, like like we said, was uh, written by Woody Guthrie, played for the Folkways compilation album in 1988, and Bruce has performed this song live five times, and he did all five on the Tunnel of Love Express tour in 1988. So somehow, even though we're talking about a cover song that was not on the Tunnel of Love album, we're still somehow talking about Tunnel of Love because that's the kind of month we're having. So, um, and I'll tell you what, if it's, if it's 1988 and you're kind of thinking, what is Bruce Springsteen's next record going to sound like this, this cover was a very good preview. <laughs> well, it was a, it's a good preview of what lucky town would sound like, but not, human well, Touch. yeah, sorry. His, his, 
they came out at the same time. Yes, but his <laughs> next album, the next album that he created was right. Human Touch. So let's get our basic facts before we start getting emails. Nobody <laughs> wants that. So nobody wants that. Um, so Jeez, yeah, the, emails. <laughs> this actually, this song would have been a cool addition to the Lucky Town album. I think. Yeah, yeah, um, absolutely. I have that in my notes. That's cool. Uh, so the song was played live five times on on the Tunnel of Love Express tour in 1988, and the most recent performance of the song was June 21st, 1988, in Birmingham, England. So those are the basic facts of this song. So let's talk music. I think, like we already sort of mentioned, like sonically, it, it could have fit on Lucky Town because it's got some pretty hard guitars on it. I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, for sure. The intro is awesome. It's got like a little guitar walk down with the bass drum following behind it, which I really love. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the pit, you know, there's some like picked out guitar and then like this really shrill slide guitar. It's very rock and roll, this cover. Yeah. Which, uh, well, and one yeah, of the, it's got like a little lead belly to it, you know. Did we talk about lead belly already? We, we, a long time. Last time we did something from the, this is the second song we've done from the Folkways compilation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, but th- what's interesting here, like one of the things that we've talked about, anytime we talk about a, a cover, song we talk about whether or not bruce is just trying to replicate the original sound as in like london calling or turn 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 or if he's trying to create sort of his own sound with with the song that he's covering and yeah this is absolutely the latter like th- like this bruce's version of the song sounds absolutely nothing like the woody guthrie version of the song the woody guthrie did you listen to the woody guthrie version yeah yeah it sounds like something from the oh brother where that soundtrack and it is not right. it is not yeah, rock and roll guthrie song Say what? I said, yeah, it's a Woody Guthrie song. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm just like I'm, I'm saying, like for the listeners, like if you're trying to sort of like place the sound of the song, like what 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 would you compare it to? That's that's where I would go with it. And but but Bruce's cover is just straight rock and roll. So like Bruce fully changes the way the song sounds, which in my opinion is what makes it a good cover. Not because rock and roll is better than folk, but because it's Bruce is not just trying to recreate a thing that Woody Guthrie did. He's taking it and he's putting his own spin on it. You know, yeah, he's doing some guitar stuff in here that's like a poor '90s man version of Stevie Ray Vaughan, kind of with like the way he's like picking out his chords and the verses and then doing the solo. You know, mm-hmm. uh, super bluesy. You know, just, but still like just super rock and roll guitar. Yeah. Um, there's like some phase shift on the guitar too, which is really cheesy, but it's also you know '88, so it's kind of dope. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Yeah, uh, and the bass is doing like this. The bass drum's doing this like really great heartbeat. Uh, while the guitar is just really lightly you know, picking out the slide, popping in and out between phrases during the verse. It's really great. And when the band comes in, it's super nice. Just some really good guitar work. Just really fragile, like, electric tones. And the the slide guitar is really powerful and almost, like, atonal. It's almost percussive. Um, it's great. There's a big old guitar solo, you know. It's, it's a big old guitar solo. It's not long. It's just, like, it, you know... It's not a lead... You know, there's there's a lot of times, like, well, it's more of like a lead line than a guitar solo. This is a guitar solo. Um, well, big is yeah. the right word for it too. It, it it fills the space. Then there's like this weird uh, woodblock break, which is uh, <laughs> it's like, but it's like syncopated against the heartbeat bass drum in a way that makes it it makes it okay. You know, like all the really cheesy stuff in the song works. Yeah, <laughs> it's it nice. Does. The woos, you know, like the really haunting sort of woos. Uh, it's nice. Yeah, I like it. I um. This, this is the kind of Bruce Springsteen I probably would have wanted more of in this at this point in, in his career, you know, because there's there's yeah. no synthesizer, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's it's very right. like th- this is like sort of calling back to sort of the Bruce Springsteen that made Darkness on the Edge of Town, which is like it's rock and roll, and it's like it's 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 
even though it's not just folk rock like the Woody Guthrie version, it's kind of stripped bare of all of the like the flashy, simmer, shimmery things that you sort of come to associate, like Born in the USA and Tunnel of Love. And so if that's the kind of thing that maybe you would, if you were a Bruce Springsteen fan in 1988 and you didn't necessarily love Born in the USA and Tunnel of Love because maybe it felt like a departure from like the original rock sound that he had been kind of pursuing for a little while, I, this this would have scratched that itch for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? If, if that had been where I was, it, it, I mean, I was seven years old when this came out so that was not my problem but if if that was if you have people out there who are like oh i miss tunnel of love like that you this might have satisfied you a little bit you know for sure right. and uh I, I just love thinking about that uh super fun but much maligned uh lucky town band just like smash i would love to see them just like smash this song to pieces live you know well yeah i'm a little surprised that he didn't do this a couple of times on that on the lucky town human touch tour because I mean, not only would this have fit in, like it would have. I mean, it's a cool song, you know. And um, I, I think, I think that probably would have really been an interesting addition to the to the set list. But yeah, he, Bruce he playing like a it. white strat and his guitar player, like with that stand up electric dobro, just sliding it, you know. Yeah, uh, that'd have been a blast. Well, and maybe maybe he included it on the Tunnel of Love for exactly that that reason because this is sort of like a, this is a new song that he had done that, that rocks, you know. And so he's because because maybe he's catching some grief for the tunnel. Also, the Tunnel of Love set lists were weird. Like if you go back and look at that that tour, he was making some very odd choices. The tour um, was weird. The it, it show was, was weird. Yeah, the whole. I mean, well, and I mean, and obviously he's foreshadowing a lot of changes that he's about to make in his life. But but yeah, it it was a weird tour. So it's interesting that like that's the tour he decided like to bring this one out a couple of times. It instead of like on that very famously he like dropped from the set list like Rosalita and a bunch like other songs that people were really accustomed like I think Spirit and I don't think he was doing almost anything from the seventy three albums and um and that that he pulled this one out instead. I w- I would imagine there were a lot of fans that were like, well, he didn't do Rosalita, but. I guess he did Vigilante Man. <laughs> you know, like, <Yeah>. what? <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, anyway, that that is interesting. But yeah, sonically, it, it, this is this kind of harkens back to like those like rock root sensibilities. Um, yeah. And oh, man, that guitar solo is so cool. There's just so many like sweet pinch harmonics and there, there's some really cool stuff happening. Yeah, I, I like it sonically. I, I enjoy it a lot. Um, in fact, I, I forget... That I like it until I start listening to it. I'm like, yeah, man, this, this song really rocks. I, I really like this. Oh, oh, yeah. The second that that like guitar intro happens, you're like, all right, I'll I'll bite. I'll yeah. check this out. I I got three minutes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of worse ways you can spend three minutes for sure. Yeah, or four minutes, whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You want so? Uh, do you want to do lyrics? Yes. Yeah. Let's let's talk. I mean, and even though this is written by Woody Guthrie, I think the lyrics are still worth talking about because Woody Guthrie had something to say. Like, there's a reason Bruce does a tribute. All right, so uh, here are the lyrics. This is verse one. It says, Rainy night down in the engine house, sleeping just, just as still as a mouse. A man came along and chased us out in the rain. Well, was that a vigilante man? So what you have is, and, and a lot of like the Woody Guthrie catalog sort of features sort of um, you know, kind of like the life of, of migrant worker, or like, of what you would have called a hobo in, in the 1930s. Um, people who were just sort of moving from place to place, looking for work and places to sleep. And so, in fact, did Woody Guthrie? It's been so long since we did. Woody Guthrie wrote "Hobo's Lullaby," right? Uh yeah, Woody Guthrie wrote "Hobo's Lullaby." Okay, cool. So yeah, so I mean, this this is part of the Woody Guthrie story. So what you have here is you have the. It says you, you got this guy and I guess at least one other person because it says us, 
and they're sleeping in an engine house and they're trying to be quiet because they don't want to get run out. And so somebody comes in there and runs them out. And now, I mean, they were sleeping inside and now they're like standing in the rain outside. And, and they look back at the person who chased them out and says, was that a vigilante man? So then it says, stormy days, we pass this time away. Yeah, sleeping in some good warm place. And a cop come along and we give him a little race, which they're getting chased by, by a mm-hmm. cop. It says, say, was that a vigilante man? Then the next verse is, well, tell me, why does a vigilante man, tell me, why does a vigilante man carry that sawed-off shotgun in his hands to shoot his brothers and sisters down that no good vigilante man? Whoa. And then the next part says, well, I ramble around, yeah, from town to town. Yeah, I ramble around mm, from town to town. Yeah, and they run us around like a wild herd of cattle, Lord. Is that your vigilante man? And then finally, the last verse is, well, now, why does that vigilante man, why does that vigilante man carry that club in his hands? Would he beat an innocent man down, that no good vigilante man? So in the in the language of the song, the vigilante man is sort of the, the person who is working on behalf of a system that is pretty much like making life harder for people who already have it really hard. In the first verse, it's someone chasing, sleeping people out into the rain. The next, it's um, a cop that, comes along and harasses them. Next, it's somebody carrying a sawed-off shotgun looking for a reason to shoot somebody. Um, mm. And then and then it says, like, whoever, like, someone's running them around like a wild herd of cattle. So probably, it like... Feel, a, it feels like a Pinkerton. Well, Pinkertons were... I mean, the, Pinkertons were pre... Like, they were, they were like a post-Civil War, like an investigative group. Right, right. But it kind of feels like that. Uh, not government, but hired by the government. Sort of like muscle that you would hire to sort of do your bidding. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So it, it's this interesting kind of turn of imagery, right? Because each in each verse you have the, the songwriter saying, like, calling someone a vigilante man. And they're always a representation of the establishment, which I mean, that, that, I guess that's the connection to the Pinkertons, right? Like, Pinkertons were always hired by, like, the wealthy people to go and, like, give people a hard time. So um, yeah, but they weren't even they weren't even the establishment. They were just like someone who was willing to take money from the establishment. Well, that, yeah, that's the, and that's the thing to, too to do the uh, maybe the unlawful building of the establishment. Yeah, well, and and that's the sort of the, the sense you get here too, right? Like the the person who's doing the violence in in the song, it's not it's not the person who owns the engine house, and it's not the person who owns the train yard or, or wherever they are. It's the person who works for the person who owns those things. And so this is a person who also needed a job, but now that this person has a job, he has taken it, I assume it's a he, has taken it upon himself to use his job to wield his power against other people who are in the same situation that he very well could have ended up in himself had he not gotten lucky enough to find a job, you know? Yeah. And so so the vigilante man is someone who is kind of selling out his, I mean, which is, I mean, he says, why does he carry the shotgun to shoot his brothers and sisters down? So he he sees the vigilante man, as the person who's doing the bidding of, you know, the the establishment, the wealthy, the whatever, as as someone who should be in alignment with us, but instead is doing violence to us and making our lives harder because he has a job and now he has some amount of power and he's abusing the power because because yeah. he wants to stay in the good graces of the people who gave him that power, like so, a Halliburton mercenary. Yeah, actually, yes. Eric Prince is a vigilante man, and um, or whoever else. Or the, the people who work for him. Yeah, he's, he's established. Yeah, I guess at this point, yes, he is. Yeah. So the the, the idea of the vigilante isn't someone, which is interesting, because a vigilante in actual English language, a vigilante is someone who goes against the social order. Batman. You know, like, yeah, Batman is a vigilante, but in the song, the vigilante is someone who doesn't go against the social order. He's going against something 
that's more important, which is mankind. You know, yeah. so it, it's as if to say, like, a vigilante basically is is someone who should have an allegiance to something, but then with acts specifically acts of violence and force work against the thing that they should have been working alongside. And so like like I said like like you said Batman is a vigilante because he goes outside of the law to inflict justice. So the vigilante in the song though is someone who should be with us on the work line or in the engine house, but instead or he should be advocating for us, but instead he's using his power to harm us. So that makes him yeah. a vigilante, not against the establishment, but against humanity. And, mm-hmm. and it sort of flips the script on what we think of when we use the word vigilante. And so as if to say the worst kind of treason you can commit is not against the system. It's against, it's against your your fellow man or your fellow human, you know. Yeah. Which is pretty brilliant. And I I don't know that I've ever fully appreciated like what a what an incisive poet Woody Guthrie could be. But that this is pretty great, you know. Yeah. So those are my thoughts. Uh yeah, man. That that's the song. You nailed it. You got <laughs> Halliburton. Man, you got to have more than that. Is it, am, I, am I just filibustering until you're like, I don't know, I got nothing. No, you've just gotten the last two really well. I, all I had to say was, you know, like, Halliburton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Halliburton. I mean, if we can get into Halliburton if you want to. Like, how icky is it that, like, a security service and also an oil field company are the people who are in the Middle East handling our military's duties? You know, we could talk about that. That's exciting and oh, fun. it's gross. Yeah, that's... Uh, <clears throat> it's super gross. It's bad. Um... Yeah, man. There, yeah, there, there's lots of modern day examples that you could point to here and get real uncomfortable real fast. Um, yep. So, I mean, we'll just, you know, I, th- I, th- I think we all, which, again, interesting that Bruce has not done this song since 1988 because, doggone, if, if Bruce wasn't raging against the Iraq War in 2006, 2007, like, man, why was he not doing this on the Secret Sessions tour? You know, like why? Like we would you? I mean, I realize like this is a little more rock and roll than the, the sessions band could get, but I mean, Bruce can make a new arrangement, or maybe on the Magic tour, even. You know, like oh yeah, it'd have been awesome on the Magic. So tour. so many opportunities to do this song, you know, and I don't know, maybe it just didn't cross his mind because he has a billion songs, but um, thematically, this would have been really interesting on the Magic tour, you know. Yeah. Yep. Well, and quite frankly, he did he did the song Seeds a bunch on. Um, the working on a dream tour. This song's way better than Seeds, so True. in my opinion. And I realize that Bruce didn't write it, but I, I think I think this would have been a, <laughs> a more interesting song to have done. <laughs> yeah. What's so funny? He just well, I realize Bruce didn't write it, <laughs> but he covers. It. I mean, it's uh, not like he's above doing cover songs. I know, but just like that thought, I just followed that thought down the trail to to a joke, and that, right. that was funny. You know. <laughs> Anybody could play a song that was better than one of their own that they played. <laughs> not Bruce Springsteen. It's true, right? Not Bruce Springsteen, but it's it's just fun. It, you know, why didn't you play that? What, JV, why didn't you play Born to Run on your last tour? That's way better than all the songs you play. Hey, can I tell you? I mean, last time I saw Jason, song. last time I saw Jason Isbell, he closed the show with American Girl by Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and I wouldn't. Oh, but that was awesome. All. Yeah. Um, uh, Jason Isbell is going to be maybe the next generation's Bruce Springsteen. I, I was thinking about that when I saw him live. Like just watching, having watched him play for as long as I watched him play, and being so stoked about every single song that he played, and realizing that there were there were maybe thirty other songs that I played, and was going to be maybe disappointed if he didn't. Yeah, and we, and when we were close, you know, like closing in on like the two hour mark, and it's like. All right, you know. Yeah. We got, we got 30 more songs that I need you to play. Well, that's only, like, the, the longer he builds his body of work, the more that's going to happen. 
you know. Yeah, and his band is I mean, his band is they they are good. They are they are good enough to continue being good until they are, you know, old men on the stage. Uh, they are good. They're yeah. very good. Yeah, when I when I get sad about like the generation of of rock stars that are getting older, I my my heart turns to Jason Isbell and I and I, I get very I, I find comfort there for that exact reason. It, you think Jason Isbell's a country artist? Go watch him play with the four hundred unit. Like Jimbo Hart's a straight up soul bass player and uh Sailor Vaden is is plays rock and roll guitar as good as anyone who's alive right now. So. Well, and, and we've talked before about, and we've compared into like our generation's Bruce Springsteen. And, and one of the things we've talked about before, and I think you quoted Sadler Vaden's tweet at some point when he was replying to um, Adam Levine, but basically the idea of like <laughs> rock and roll. I think about that tweet most days. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, that, and that's the thing is like rock and roll is no longer found where it used to be found. Rock and roll is now found in like these neo country albums or artists who are, who are pushing, who are using rock and roll instruments to really like challenge like the, the the front door to rock and roll isn't rock and roll anymore. A lot of times it's alt country, and so you you've got like yeah, um, or soul R and B has a lot of rock and roll. In that's it. true, that, absolutely. I mean, that's yeah. where rock and roll came from. So yeah, so now I we, mean like Leon Bridges' last record had so much good rock and roll. In it, it did. That's that's absolutely right. And uh, but you have like and uh, Gary Clark Jr. I mean he's a blues guy, but he put out a record that's pretty soulful and has like a lot of hip hop elements in it. It's so rock and roll. Gary, you know? Gary Clark Jr. is very rock and roll, and and you've got. Um, you got Jason Isbell, but you also have like Margot Price, who we've talked about before here. Um, we talked about Brandy Carlisle. Yeah. You know, oh, also like something I said not long ago on the podcast, which is that Brandy Car. Oh, it was on it was on our uh, year end episode. We, I was talking about Brandy Carlisle's new album because it was my favorite album last year, and I said that Brandy Carlisle is our generation's Joni Mitchell, and it was just announced this last week that Brandy Carlisle yes. is going to do a one night only show where she covers all of Joni Mitchell's album blue, which is a yes. masterpiece. And if I had all the money in the world, I would fly to that event just so I could be there for it. And that's um, very exciting. The only thing I can hope is that they film it and they release it. Um, yeah. Or they do like a, uh, an turntable kitchen, you know, vinyl yeah. release that that's yeah, that that's my great hope right now. And I, t- I tweeted that and Brandy Carlisle liked it, which only means that she completely agrees with me and she will definitely do it. That's and that's, is planning that's on doing it. Away from it. So anyway, we're, we're way off the beaten path. How many shot off shotguns would you give vigilante man? Three and a half right there with you, dude. Three and a half all, as well. This is one of the best three and a half songs, <laughs> you know? Agreed. Yeah. And, and yeah. I don't, I don't know what, what it would take to get it up higher. Maybe if, if he, featured it more prominently if this was on an album proper if he played it more often on tour if it was a live cut there are a couple of ways that i could see it maybe going up a little bit but as it sits right now it's a it's a healthy really enjoyable three and a half yeah or a very sick four <laughs> yeah there you go it's an anemic four or a robust three and a half <laughs> it's not like it's, it's not sick at all it's a great song no. it's really fun yeah well thanks everybody for listening and we will be back in your feed next week we're going to finish out the V's. We're going to do it strong, not with a Bruce Springsteen song, with a cover that Bruce does. Another cover. Uh, and Another cover, cover. And it's going to be a little song called Viva Las Vegas. So, by your very own Elvis Presley. We'll talk about who it's actually by. But Well, all right. Performed we'll, by, made famous by your very own Elvis Presley. We will see y'all then. Bye.